guys. I have absolutely loved getting to know a lot of you and seek the Lord together with you. It has been a delight. This has been such a blessing to be able to minister with, alongside your leaders and pastors, with such an amazing group of young people. I'm telling you, I have so enjoyed your enthusiasm, your eagerness to learn, the humility you've gone about things with, and the breakout session, and in these times, you've been locked in, and so obviously teachable. And I was so grateful for the way that God worked last night powerfully. It was, it was a beautiful thing to say. I, I have had times in my life where it's completely evident God has said, I got this. And he has moved into lives in amazing ways. <laughs> I was wondering what you guys were laughing at over there. I, I, <laughs> I love you guys. It, it was amazing. Really, I, you hear so much negative stuff about your generation, and you're defying all of those statistics and odds. I'm serious. Beautiful to see. Keep, keep up the good work. God turned the world upside down and completely changed it with a group much smaller than this in the beginning of the history of the church. And I am so thrilled to see what God's going to do with your generation, with leaders and earnest people like you. Look, last night, God obviously moved in, and there was such beautiful, heartfelt expression of repentance and crying out to God for mercy. And it was so beautiful to see the genuineness of that and to see not just youth pastors and leaders coming alongside those who are doing business with God, but what most impressed me was how many of you fellow students came alongside and embraced and prayed with and ministered to your peers. That was beautiful to see. And keep up the good work. Keep up the good work. It was, it's absolutely beautiful. And, and I want to say something to those of you who stood up. Uh, I, I locked eyes with the first guy that stood up, and he just looked at me with a big smile on his face. And just went like this. It was, I will never forget that moment. It was absolutely beautiful. And so I, I love what God did. Now, I want to say something to you. I've, I've been around times where God's moved in and taken over like he did last night. And it's a beautiful thing to see. You can't manage that. You can't manipulate that. God just decided by the Spirit's power to work in people's lives in beautiful ways. There were people outside, in the back, in, in here. And it was phenomenal. And I know it went on long after. And... And there can be this feeling after something like that happens, almost a little bit of an embarrassment, like, what was that? That, that was pretty dramatic, what ended up happening. And you can feel a bit sheepish about it and, and almost embarrassed by, wow, I was really emotional last night or I, I stood up in front of everybody and I expressed this and now maybe they're wondering what my life has been like or whatever. Those are just lies that Satan's whispering in your ear to get you to back off the kind of faith you expressed last night. Don't listen to his lies. He's called the father of lies. And so just send them right back to hell where they came from when you hear those kinds of lies in your life. Because, because following, 
following Jesus is the best decision. Trusting Christ is the best decision you'll ever make in your entire life. And so, so please be affirmed in that. And just do some really basic things. I, I just want to encourage all of us. I, we all need to hear this, but especially those of you who are beginning your journey with Jesus... Get in the Word. I love how the videos have, I mean, the last scene, she hands God's Word off to this guy who's wondering what's up and why she's different. And she says, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And you know the things in the Word to know the one who inspired this Scripture and made you. And so you go to His Word. And if that means five minutes a day starting off, just read a verse or two. Just read a psalm here and there. Just say, I'm going to read the Gospel of Mark over, over the next month. Just do, do whatever it takes to just make being in the Word part of your life. You don't have to understand everything you read all the time in there. Sometimes I still read the Bible and I say, well, I'm not really sure what I was supposed to get out of that, but I believe it's God's Word, so I'm going to keep putting spiritual money in the bank of my heart, expecting God's going to use it in good ways. So become men and women of the Word. You can't follow Jesus if you don't follow His Word. So, so get in the Word. Understand what that means for your life. Also, worship. I, I love the enthusiastic worship you've all been diving into this week. And so I want you to keep doing that, not just corporately. Commit to corporate worship like this. But I want to encourage you to worship privately, personally. You know how Daniel went in his room and he prayed three times a day as he just did as a pattern in his life? When you read your Bible, you need to do it prayerfully. And prayer is another thing we've got to do. We talked about this already this week. Commune with God throughout your day. Don't, don't just run into a problem or a difficult circumstance or a tough conversation and try to meet it with your wits. Say, Lord, help me to speak truth and love to this friend. Lord, help me with this challenge I have on my plate. Lord, help me to love my parents because they're driving me crazy. Lord, help me to, to take seriously my responsibilities as a student and, and whatever other roles you play in your life and be an example that shows who I am as a follower of Jesus. So, so worship. But when you read your Bible, sing. Um, go, go and find worship songs and sing along with them until you memorize them. I sing through hymnals. And sometimes I don't know the tune of the hymn, so I just make it up, and it sounds horrible. Remember one time I was doing that when we were living in a little apartment, and I did that for several months after we moved in the apartment, only to find out that there were some ladies, some college students who lived right above us and went out and had their time with the Lord on that little balcony above ours, and I had no idea they were hearing my horrible singing, making up tunes some of the time, but that's okay. God loves our hearts expressing affection to him. So word, worship, prayer, and relationships. Dive into community. You desperately need other people in your life. You were never created to grow in isolation. That, that's an American mentality sometimes that you've got to do it yourself and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Don't buy that. We were created to grow interdependently with each other. You need other people in your life who are following hard after Jesus. Seek them out. Surround yourself with them. And, and they'll encourage you on those days when your faith is weak and you're struggling with different things. And, and open things up. My friend Dave Talley, uh, he, he and I have had this kind of relationship for years. He'll check into a hotel and he'll realize that um, he doesn't have any accountability in this city where he just flew into. 
And, and there are all kinds of temptations when you travel in that way. And he'll check in the hotel and he'll call me. And he'll say, I just wanted you to know I don't have a roommate on this trip. I'm in this hotel by myself. There's stuff available on the TV I'm not going to watch. And I just want you to ask me questions when I get home. See, those are the kinds of friends you need who will, who will invite that kind of input into their lives. And you need to welcome it into yours as well. But there's no more important community than the local church. You've got to be part of a good gospel-preaching, Bible-grounded, ministering, disciple-making church. You've got to do it. It's a non-negotiable in the Bible. So you dive into fellowship and start serving. Don't, if, if you became a Christian last night, don't wait another day to start ministering to people. You're not just a child of God. You're a minister of the gospel now. You're a priest. You have access into the presence of God, and you have the privilege of saying to other people, who's going with me? Let's go into the presence of God. And that just means simple things like initiating prayer. You know, just, don't just say, I'll pray for you. Pray for people. Right there. Don't, don't just be satisfied with shallow conversations. Take things deeper. Ask good questions like, hey, what do you learn in the Bible these days? Listen to what I learned in the Bible this morning. Ask good questions like, how you doing or how can I pray for you? I know you're having trouble with your relationship with your mom. How's that going? How can I pray for you about that? Be a minister. Like I told you about my son Sam, just taking that initiative with one friend to get together and read his Bible in a coffee shop before school on Tuesday mornings. It's that simple. Ministry's never been complicated. It's never been easy, but it's never been complicated. Just be men and women of the word, men and women of worship, men and women of prayer, men and women of fellowship, meaningful relationships, men and women of service, serve people, love people. I love how, how Darlene, throughout the whole videos, kept serving people. He helped that guy whose leg was trapped under a leg, and she went, he, she went to the word to find out how to care for people, right? Beautiful imagery there. Caring for people, loving people, even when they don't love you back. And finally, proclaim. You ever, you ever notice how when you speak to someone about something you love, it might even be a kind of food. Like I come from a town uh, that had a little area of Connecticut that has the best Italian food and definitely the best pizza in the world. I'm not kidding. People came from Florence, they came from Napoli, and they, they perfected pizza in the New Haven, Connecticut area. You don't believe me. Just when you get home, Google Worcester Street, New Haven Pizza. You'll see what I'm talking. You'll see one picture, and your mouth will be watering. My mouth is actually literally starting to water in that right now, just talking and thinking about Worcester Street Pizza at Sally's and Pepe's. And, and, and that's an example of the sort of thing we do with Jesus, right? But at a greater level, a much higher level. When you tell people about the greatness of Jesus about his mercy and his love and the way he, he saved your life and died so you could be forgiven, you deepen in your appreciation for him. You know what Paul says to Philemon in Philemon 1.6? He says, I pray you'll be active in sharing your faith. And then you expect him to say, so that others will understand the good things they have in Christ, which is true when you, when you share your faith. But he says, I pray you'll be active in sharing your faith so you'll have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Isn't that cool? When you, when, you, when you speak well of Jesus, when you express your appreciation, your affection for him, your, your adoration of him, that deepens in your own heart. It's one of the best things you can do for yourself spiritually. If you're interested in diving into doing that more intentionally, especially at your school, 
I have some materials that we have in the back. On your way out from a great ministry called Decision Point that Hume has partnered with in the past. They had people here last summer. It's a great ministry. It, it, it's all no charge, completely free, but they have a website that helps you think about strategically reaching your friends. Uh, and they have a, 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 um, an encouragement this summer coming into the fall for high school students to just ask God to, to give them the names of five of their friends who don't know Christ, and you start praying for them this summer. So that when you go back to school, God uses you in their lives to point them to Jesus, to preach Christ to them. And I would encourage you even to tell them you've been praying for them all summer when you get back. And that you want nothing more than for them to have the relationship with God that you do. They have great materials back there. They have a great website. It's, it's all free. Pastors, youth, youth pastors, counselors, uh, youth workers, you, you can get great help from that too. It's so, such a helpful ministry that, that I just feel really great about. So there you go. Those are the things I want to encourage you to do, think about. And so I, I want to look at one more passage of Daniel. So if you'd open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9, we're going to look at just a few verses of a prayer that Daniel preached when he got a vision, a prophetic word from the Lord about the destruction of Jerusalem. When, when not just 587, but... but the, the condition it was in when he prays this prayer. And I just want to highlight a few verses in here so we get a glimpse of Daniel's deep faith in an enduring way in God. Listen to Daniel chapter 9, beginning at verse 3. Let me pray. Lord, help us as we go to your word to hear from you. It's your word. The Spirit inspired it. He's at work now. He's certainly been at work this week. It was beautifully at work last night. I pray that as we spend our last time together here in the chapel, getting into your word, that you would use it in a way that fortifies us and encourages us and blesses us. And Lord, we pray that once again you would prove faithful as you always do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. L listen to Daniel's prayer. In Daniel 9, 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer, and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and steadfast love, uh, I'm sorry, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done what is wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, uh, rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Now, I want you to know something, notice something that we just read that will be throughout this whole prayer. It's a prayer of ongoing repentance and confession. They got themselves in exile in Babylon in the first place because they worshiped false gods. They didn't obey God. They didn't walk in his ways. And he's recognizing the reality of this situation that they're still in. And he's confessing sin on behalf of the people. Daniel was not individually, personally, worshiping idols. He was walking faithfully with God. He wasn't breaking God's laws. Now, he wasn't perfect. No one will be until they're conformed to the image of Christ when they see him. But Daniel was walking with God in faithfulness. But he identified so much with God's people 
that he never set him apart, himself apart from them. He saw himself so a part of the people of God that he saw their sin as his sin. And so he uses all this we language throughout verse 5, right? We have sinned and done what is wrong and acted wickedly. And as we read through more verses in this prayer, you'll see he stays with this idea of identification with the people of God. It's really cool these days. I don't know if you know this. It's really cool for Christians to bash the church. For Christians to say, yeah, we, we were horrible. We, we, we're, we've done really badly. And we, this self-loathing. The church has done awesome things through history. You go anywhere in the world, you're going to find a hospital built by Christians. You're going to find a school built by Christians. You're going to find people who left everything that was comfortable, everything that was easy, everything that was familiar to go to another part of the world to bring love and kindness and sometimes water and health and hospitals and education, sometimes language learning for people in, the, in this planet. And most of all, they bring them the gospel of Jesus. And so it's easy to bash the church because it sort of shows, you know, I'm not really part of the problem. But you are. If you're part of the church, you're part of the problem. And I hope you see yourself as part of the solution to help us to live more faithfully and consistently. And so he, he identifies with the people of God beautifully in this prayer. And then look, look at verse 16. He goes on, O oh Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because our sins, see the plural again? Our sins, and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O oh our God, listen to the prayer of your servant. And to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, with his which is desolate. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see your desolations, our desolations, and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not. For your own sake, O oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. I love that last verse. Is that amazing? We want to be rescued. We want to be home again. But we want it not even for ourselves ultimately, but for your glory. That's what it's about. That's what Mia just was praying about and, and saying we were singing about. It's for the glory of the Lord. It's for him. It's not for our glory. It's for his. It's for his honor. We were created for relationship with him and to worship him. And that's got to be our objective. It so easily slips back down to self. And we've got to constantly be taking our, our gaze upon him and helping each other to do the same. And, and so when we interact with each other, let's do everything we can to help one another lift our gaze to him in what really matters and what really lasts. Daniel's resilient faith and faithfulness was in the faithfulness of God and the mercy of God all the way. Now, all this week, this theme we've been hitting on is that we want to be living resiliently in an increasingly hostile culture. There is growing opposition 
to Christian ways and Christian lives lived faithfully in our culture. And we're trying to get you ready for what's coming next. Long after I'm dead, I want you walking in faithfulness because you made yourself, men and women of the word, and prayer and worship and trusted Jesus come what may. And I just want you to know that being hated is part of the deal. Listen to this verse in John chapter 15. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you're the world, the world would love you as its own. That's really important. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. If you just want to blend in, if you just want to be like everybody else, just go with the tide, you won't be hated. Just blend in. Just compromise. Just go along with whatever is going on in the current time, and you will be a jellyfish that won't be hated. But if you decide to be a dolphin instead, it'll be totally different. But because you're not of the world, that's just who you are now, no longer of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. You know, there have been times in my life I've really wondered about how faithfully I've been walking with the Lord because I'm, I've been sort of generally liked by even people who are completely opposed to Jesus. And that's not always a bad thing. But, but every once in a while, somebody like I told you that guy I lived with just cusses me out simply because I'm a Christian. And, and I could be really hurt by that and wilt and walk away and sadness. But when we hear something like that, if we haven't done anything sinful against anyone, there should actually be something in us that says, oh, Jesus told me this was going to happen. Jesus warned me about this. This shouldn't blindside me. And she'd actually come away saying, hey, I think that's evidence I'm real. Now, it doesn't mean you want to be hated. It doesn't mean you like it. And it doesn't mean you excuse being hated for the wrong reasons. I mean, Jesus is talking about being hated because you love him and you worship him and you proclaim him to people who desperately need him. He's not saying you'll be hated and you can excuse being a jerk with this verse, right? <laughs> I see Christians do that. Oh, I'm just being persecuted for Christ's sake. No, you're being persecuted because you're a jerk, right? And we don't want to excuse jerkiness with that. We just need to know it's part of the deal. It's just so helpful to me. For me, so often when I'm in things, half the battle is knowing it's a battle, right? And if I know that, I go into it saying, all right, here we go. This is going to be hard. It's going to be tough, and I'm ready for it then. And realize that the Christian life, in many ways, can be summarized as combining the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Here's the Great Commission. Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. So he gives us his authority, and he sends us. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then he says... And teaching them to observe everything I've commanded. That's why he keeps saying, if you love me, you'll obey me. And if you're a minister, you're going to help people obey me and love me in that expression. And so we recognize that true discipleship 
is the great commission to go and be part of God's disciple-making ministry. But you've got to combine this with the great commandment, which is this. He's asked, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments spend the law and the prophets. When we live lives of love for God and others, no matter what, and our goal in that is to make disciples, help people see Jesus more clearly through our lives and words and help them grow in him, then we are combining the great commission and the great commandment in a powerful way that leads to a life of impact for Jesus. And again, Jesus promises, when you get about the great commandment of the great commission, no matter how loving you are, you'll be persecuted. That's why it says this in these verses. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You can fly under the radar. You, you can be an, uh, a closeted Christian, and you won't be persecuted. But, but if you decide to be clear about who it is you live for, you won't be. You, you could get away. With, with being a Christian, but just not being forthright about it. But if you decide to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will be. And look what, Luke, look what Jesus says in Luke 21. You'll be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of uh, you will be put to death. You'll be hated by all for my namesake. Now, I know that for some of you, going home is going to be the hardest thing with your family. And what God's been doing in you this week. And, and that is an incredibly difficult burden to bear. Some of you will go home and your parents will be, will be thrilled by what God's done in your life. They'll be deeply thankful. But I know for some of you, the biggest pushback is going to be from your parents. Or, or a sibling that, that thinks you're crazy for following Jesus. And, and we just need to know that's how it goes down. And, and, and this will even be by family. You know... Uh, my wife, Don, and I have spent a lot of time in India doing ministry there, uh, preaching at universities and working with orphans in the slums, both, both ends of the, the social spectrum. And it's been an amazing experience for, for us to work in India. But India is an interesting place to do ministry because there's serious persecution for Christians. And actually, I don't know if you know, the, the prime minister of India is actually in our country right now. And, and he is increasing religious intolerance in India. But when we were in India especially, we realized that, oh, you can be a Christian in India. The problem is when you convert from one religion to another. So, so becoming a Christian after having been a Hindu from a Hindu family, for instance, that's when the problem starts. You can even do it sort of internally and personally. You could say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to add Jesus to the other gods I worship in Hinduism. And they'll be fine with that. But once you say, no, this is something that now defines my life. And Jesus is the only way. That's when it becomes a problem when you come out of another religion. And when that gets really problematic is when you are willing to be baptized publicly and declare your faith in Jesus in that way. I will never forget meeting a young lady, and I, we have a photograph of, of this young lady. See the, young, the, the smallest person in the photograph? She's a young lady. At this point, I think she's 18. But let me, let me just, yeah, see how young my wife and I look there? But, but um, 
Wow, what happened to you? Yeah, so, um, so the, the young lady in the front is the one I'm talking about. Now, she, when she was 16 years old, trusted Christ and became a Christian. And her family was okay with it. But when she told them, and I'm going to be baptized next month, she knew what that meant. She was going to say goodbye to her family. Her family was going to completely disown her and reject her. And when this pastor's wife, the pastor in the red shirt, and the wife with the, the beautiful um, scarf around, red scarf around her neck on, on the other side of this young lady, they knew that when they led this young lady to Christ, they weren't just going to get a new member of their church. They were going to get a new daughter. That's what it meant for her. That's what it meant. You know, it, it's amazing that depending on where you are in the world and the context you're in, when you trust Jesus, the cost is drastic and immediate, like it was for her. And it was for them that now they had a new daughter. But I'll never forget meeting her and realizing, wow, for, for some believers in the world, following Jesus right from the beginning, you count the cost. You don't do it because it's convenient or cool or, or exciting or there's a pretty girl in the youth group that you want to get to know. No, it's drastic and it's serious in these ways. You know, it's amazing. I, I told you I come from a very broken family. And my parents' generation had a lot of challenges. There are some good, solid Christians in that generation. Uh, my, my parents' generation. But my grandparents' generation had some amazing faithfulness. I think I mentioned maybe one time this week that my, my grandfather was a Salvation Army preacher who preached the gospel downtown in three languages standing on a milk crate. But I found out years ago about my great-uncle Mike, my grandmother's brother. And this is a picture of my Uncle Mike. Um, let, let me read a little bit of his personal testimony here. Let me read this to you. He wasn't a Christian, and as a young man, still living at home, he met a man in the street who gave him a gospel tract. And he read the gospel tract, and he said this, God, if there's any power in the blood of Jesus that was shed for my sins, let it be applied to my heart right now. He said, I had never heard a prayer before. In fact, I had never been in a Protestant church or talked with Christians except for the man who gave me the tract. As soon as I uttered that simple prayer, the burden of sin was lifted, and I knew I had been saved. I said nothing at home at first, of course. Eventually, my father found out. Now, I... My mother knew her great uncle's father, and he was a terrible alcoholic and a very angry man. And this is what my Uncle Mike experienced when he became a Christian. He became extremely angry, his father did, and wanted me to know that he did not approve of my be being what he termed a salvationist. He ordered me to abandon my new religion, but I told him I could never do that. Then he ordered me out of the home. I found other quarters where I could live, but occasionally I would steal home when I thought my father was working. Twice my father caught me at home. Once he grabbed a butcher knife to stab me, but my brother-in-law standing behind him caught his arm. And while my father turned to see who had interfered, I slipped out the door. Another time he tried to choke me to death, but God intervened miraculously at the time. Finally, I left for Nyack, New York to prepare for missionary work for the Lord. For he had revealed to me that I was to serve him in Africa. Just before sailing for France and then on to Africa, I visited my father. 
This time he was quite calm, but of course thought it ridiculous for me to go to a place where cannibals lived. He said that he hoped they would finish the work he had meant to do. In other words, kill me. I was assigned to begin missionary work with my wife Myrtle in Timbuktu. Myrtle was from Canton, Ohio, and we set off for our first term, the hardest of missionary service. We learned a foreign language, we translated many portions of scripture, and won the friendship of these Muslim people, both men and women. This was a strong Muslim city, and therefore we had opposition, but eventually we praised the Lord for the souls that did emerge out of darkness, seeking the true and living God. Listen to this. Myrtle's love for the women of this land was poured out upon them. Her life was a strength and joy to all who knew her, and her ministry was unceasing. After five years, Myrtle became sick with malaria. She died on June 19, 1930, at 32 years of age. No other missionaries were at the station at the time, and communication was very difficult, and so I had to bury my wife by myself with the aid of a few African friends. On her gravestone, it says, having fought the good fight, she awaits the resurrection. And I rev as I review the past 45 years, which is how long he spent in what is now Mali in Africa, I can only rejoice at what God has done. If I had another life to live, I would gladly give it for Africa. We found joy and peace and blessing in the service of the king. Is that beautiful? Is that awesome? I, I can't wait to meet my great uncle, Mike Kerlack, and Myrtle, his wife, who died on the mission field. But, but the amazing thing is that when we preach the gospel and people hate us, when we love them, when we return evil, when we return love for evil, which is what we're commanded to do, it can have a profound impact. Sometimes it doesn't, but sometimes it is the key. Just like at the end of the film, this guy didn't understand. It almost angered him how she could return love for his hate. And that's how we need to be as Christians. We need to be aware that enemies abound, but we need to love even our enemies. Listen to this passage. It's just beautiful. Jesus says, you've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of the Father who is in heaven. And so we are to then live lives worthy of the gospel. Listen to this amazing passage in Philippians chapter 3. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come to see you or I'm absent. And I would say this to you. If I ever see any of you again. And those I've met and those who've trusted Christ, whether I'm absent or whether I see you, like the Apostle Paul, I'd want to see you that, and hear that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And when you lean into that suffering and love those who oppose you, God will use you mightily in this world. And I want you to know, and this is the last thing we're going to say tonight, I want you to know that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I just want to end by reading this amazing passage in Romans chapter 8. So if you have your Bible, go to Romans 8, and let's finish by reading this passage together. That the apostle Paul wrote to the Roman Christians, and that he's writing to us through the inspiration of the Spirit tonight. 
Listen to Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Take that to heart, please. If God gave you his own son, his beloved son, the most precious thing he could ever give you, the person of Christ, if he gave him for you, how will he not also with him graciously give, us, give you all things? Your daily bread, what you need to survive each and every day, he calls you to live out in faithfulness to him. He says this, verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, who, who, the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is, present tense, interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word, for these promises we've been hearing from the Apostle Paul who suffered incredibly, beaten, whipped, shipwrecked, starvation, stoned, rejected by his people, and yet he tells us that nothing can separate us from your love in Christ. Lord, I pray for these dear, dear young people that you would help them to trust you more each day, to believe your word to them here, knowing that you always keep your promises in the world and sin of the world never does. And so, Lord, please help them to know that you're the God who made them, made them for yourself, made them for your glory. And I pray they would grow increasingly knowledgeable of the fact that nothing will satisfy apart from you. Nothing will lead to abundant and eternal life apart from you and that they would live faithfully whatever comes their way. And for however many days you give them on this earth, I pray they would walk with you in simple daily faithfulness and that you would use them powerfully in the lives of other people to draw them to Christ so that they'll glorify you with their lives as well. Lord, we thank you for this journey we've taken through the book of Daniel. We look forward to meeting him in heaven one day along with his friends who were thrown in the furnace. And Lord, we most of all look forward to meeting our Savior when we finally see him face to face and hear those precious words, well done, good and faithful servant. And it's in his mighty and matchless and gracious name we pray. Amen. Have you guys had an amazing week of camp? <laughs> Yes. Hey, 
in just a minute, we have we have something else planned tonight. It's a tradition here at camp. Uh, we call it Victory Circle. And the beautiful thing about Victory Circle is that we get to, from this place, we'll go straight there. It's right out these doors. And you guys will have an opportunity to actually share and proclaim the victories that God has had in your life this week at camp. Psalm 19, in the very beginning, Psalm 19, 1, it says that the heavens declare the glory of God. And the beautiful thing about Victory Circle is that you and I get to join in with the heavens declaring God's glory, declaring the things that he has done in our life this week at camp. It's an amazing, amazing time. A few directions for it. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. When I'm done, I'm going to dismiss you guys. Uh, You can go out any of the doors in the chapel, and it's just straight back. So there's two staircases. You'll walk up those staircases. You'll see the lights. You can't miss it. You really can't. You'll go to Victory Circle, and then there you'll be seated. And we'll have a time of worship. We'll have a time of um, sharing what God has done in our life this week. And then we'll celebrate all of those things together. So let me pray for us, and then I'll dismiss you guys. God, we thank you for an incredible week of camp. Lord, we thank you for just the ways that you work in each of our lives through the teaching of your word by the power of your spirit. God, I pray and I ask that that would be something that we never become numb to. God, that for those of us who are in you, who are in Christ Jesus, would we remember that your grace and your mercy is new every day? God, would we remember and would we have an urgency to proclaim with boldness how you have worked in our lives to those around us? Father, I thank you for an amazing week of camp. I thank you for Eric God, I thank you for just his faithfulness to teach your word, God, to never stray away from the truth. And Father, but in gentleness and kindness, communicate your word to us. Father, I pray for my friends in this space, these campers and counselors and youth pastors, God. I just pray for an amazing final night of camp. God, I pray for conversations and cabin times. Lord, would you be with us? Would you go before us? Father, we love you and praise things in your name. Amen.